Hello and welcome to Deluded, the Melbourne Demons podcast. Neats, for someone who bemoaned Stephen May's lack of professionalism when he had a beer during the off-season, you've turned up hungover for a taping of the Deluded podcast. Um, <laughs> do you want to apologise to the fans of the podcast? Okay. <laughs> I am sympathetic now, aren't I? No, yeah, look, it's funny actually because, Kieran, you've been trying to get me to get out of the house more mm. and socialise a bit more because um, sometimes we've moved into this really beautiful new apartment and it can become very, very easy to stay indoors and just, you know, watch Netflix and chill, especially when there's, like, wonderful true crime shows on Netflix. Anyway, so you've been pushing me to get out of the house and then I finally did and I had a few too many beverages along the uh, way. And today's been a complete disaster. Complete disaster, unadulterated disaster. Yeah, well, we are apologise to the Dillard family for the lack of standards <laughs> creeping into the game. A little bit like Melbourne, things have been sliding. The bit wheels of, bit are of, falling off. A bit of selfish play. I know, I not know. Not thinking about the team, not keeping the behaviours up. <laughs> what type of training standards are these? I know, pathetic. But look, to be honest, the game itself leaves you pretty flat, doesn't it? Oh, okay. totally. You yeah. needed a few drinks after that game. No, yeah. it's just, I think that here's the thing. I... Ultimately, we were only four points down with around 10 minutes to go. Yeah. But I just think that the entire day, it looked like there was a real gulf in terms of mm. um, class. It really did. If didn't... we won that, we would have pinched it. Definitely, yeah. definitely. And I felt as if, you know, even with the Bulldogs' um, free kick count, which was absurdly in their favour, and we were both getting very frustrated watching the game. As you and I both know, teams that are the first of the ball tend to get more free kicks. Mm. And it did seem a bit absurd at some points. But at the same time, that's just what happens when you're already getting beaten. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and look, you can't question the effort. You know, they, they tried really hard. They were working. They were tackling. They were doing everything. There's some really good individual performances, like Jack Viney, for example, who had probably his best game in a while. But it just looked like t- teams with a little bit of a gulf, you know, where the, the Bulldogs just have so much depth in their midfield. And we were starting to do, I think, what we were doing a lot of last season, where Everyone would go in at the ball, we'd lose the ball, and then you've got Smith on the outside or Bontempelli or McRae just a metre or two away who can capitalise. So, I don't know, it felt like a bit of a regression to me. I agree, and I just feel, and, you know, we talk about this later today in our interview, but I did feel a little bit like it it is becoming a bit too much of the Petrarca and Oliver show mm. and all of everybody else is kind of this supporting cast, but none of the members of the supporting cast are able to even try and go get the ball and try and go be ball winners, yeah. um, even when those two sort of primary characters are down. It's a bit Lennon-McCartney, isn't it? We need to get Ringo involved. I don't know who Ringo is, maybe yeah. Gus or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? We need to get some of these other players who can really kick well into the game because it's just not good enough to have – Two players getting 30, 35 possessions. To be honest, many of those being ineffective possessions. Let's be honest here. Um, and then having players like Salem not really have much of an impact. Um, Cozzy, you know, has some touches in the forward line, but hasn't been able to, to damage as much. Spargo, Gus, you mentioned. I don't know. I think we've got a lot of underutilized resources that we've got to get, get moving. Right I now. agree. I agree. And I just think that, you know, um, it, it is starting to look a little bit like last year, right? Mm. Where you have these star individual performers who have these great, um, great games. We've got to find other ways to win. Yeah. But look, the optimistic take is our defense is still unbelievably solid. Um, way better than it was last year. Jake Lever had, had an absolute blinder. Right. Lever was great. May is always great. Um, so our defense is fantastic. Gorn is still absolutely dominating. Um, and Fritch has improved. And, you know, there's plenty of positive things. I just think we need to, change up this midfield mix a little bit because just getting a lot of possessions isn't enough because even lower teams are challenging us, the truth. Definitely. 
And that brings us to the interview that we've got this week, which is very exciting. Yeah, with uh, Julian Destoop um, from SEN now, one of our favourite reporters. Um, just an absolutely lovely guy. Um, and we have a really interesting chat, both about um, the Ds and some of our kind of tactical quandaries, I suppose, going into the last few weeks. Um, we talk about uh, Mitch Brown, one of my all-time favourites. <laughs> Um, and we really go into depth about the Gold Coast game as well. So some pretty pretty interesting stuff there. And look, Jules is a little bit more optimistic about the Ds than we are. We are the kind of classic jaded supporters. I'm maybe- also super hungover, so I'm obviously <laughs> completely unenthusiastic about our chances. And Nita's hungover. Um, and I'm always hungover when it comes to the Ds. So it's kind of interesting because he has a bit more of a positive take um, about where we're at. And the truth is we're only two points behind first. You know, at the end of the day, if we're in the top four, I don't think venue really matters that much this year, right? Because we could be anywhere. That's exactly right. I mean, the problem is, is that the contenders are coming and they're charging Mm. fast. So it did look initially like there was a real gulf between us and Geelong and and Brisbane and the dogs and the like. But now everybody's sort of coming home um, with a wet sail. And we look a little bit like we're slowing down, whereas the other teams seem to be gaining momentum. I agree to an extent. I mean, I don't really rate Port Adelaide that highly. I mean, I think we've shown we can beat them. And Brisbane, having lost Hipwood, I don't know how massive a threat they are for the Premiership. So I still think it's us, Geelong, the Dogs, and maybe Sydney. So we're still in the pack, and we have enough time to, to you know, reorient us ourselves. So it's not all doom and gloom, but this week is going to be pretty huge, I think. Yeah, it's huge because, I mean, the problem is, is we've talked a lot about uh, whether or not the form line against poorer sides has been reflective of a general downward trajectory or if it's reflective of, um, you know, some type of complacency. And the problem is, is we just have not played that well. Aside from the Port game, we have not played that well over the past six weeks. Yeah, exactly. But it's an opportunity to turn around. But, um, yeah, we hope you enjoyed this week's uh, interview. Um, please uh, like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group, Deluded the Melbourne Demons Fan Community. Uh, and if you get a chance, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Oh, yeah, we need more reviews. Please do that. <laughs> we, we need more reviews. Um, don't mention Nita's hangover if you could. Um, but until next week, go Dees. Go Dees. Join us, Stoop. Welcome to the Deal Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. We've always been big fans of your work, Jules, and specifically your voice. Um, I seem to be watching <laughs> AFL tonight. We were just really enamored with the way that you um, presented the daily rundown in the AFL. Oh, thank you. No, you don't get that. Uh, you don't get that compliment too often. Uh, now, a bit of voice training early days. I, I pulled out uh, a couple of my early uh, news stories. It wasn't too flash, but uh, luckily when I was at Channel 9, uh, I had Tony Jones teaching me and uh, I had an, another voice trainer that would come in with some of the young journos uh, sort of weekly for a while and uh, certainly improved it. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's nice feedback to get. Thank you very much. <laughs> Maybe that's what we need, Nitz, a voice trainer. Maybe that's what's been holding the Deluded Podcast oh, almost back. certainly. I mean, there's many things that have been holding the Deluded Podcast back, but I think voice training could definitely be one of them. <laughs> um, so, Jules, as you know, Melbourne supporters are, you know, have gone through the whole roller coaster this year and now we're a fairly sour bunch, or at least the people in, in our orbit. So at the start of the year, we thought that our forward line and our lack of midfield class would doom our finals chances. And then we forgot about all that when we won all those games. And now it seems like we're back where we started. Um, where do you think the Ds are at right now? It's funny you say that. I was just listening to uh, Jared Waitley and David King about half an hour ago, and they were talking about Melbourne, and, and David was pretty positive about it and saying, look, they didn't get everything right on the weekend, but there's 10 minutes to go, and they're four points behind 
the team that, you know, are probably the premiership favourites right now. So he was very positive. And then there was one Melbourne supporter that just texted and said, don't talk that rubbish. We'll probably win one more game for the year. We'll <laughs> fall to six on the ladder and we'll go out in the first week of the final. So there certainly is a, a few negative Melbourne supporters. Look, I don't think, I think they were okay the other night. I think on a dry night, they probably win that game. When Keith went down early, the dogs were in a bit of trouble, but it was pretty difficult in those conditions. The forward line is certainly the concern. I thought Brown was better the other night. He had five shots at goal, but just his, his goal kicking, he was such a beautiful kick at North Melbourne. It's just the way he's running in and the ball's wobbling around a bit. It doesn't. He looks like a guy a bit short on confidence, but I thought his overall game was better the other night. McDonald's fallen off a little bit. Fritch has been pretty good. Pickett showed a few good signs. But, yeah, certainly... That forward line is the concern for Melbourne. And the thing is now, it's getting pretty tight. Like a top four spot is certainly, it's not assured. I mean, they're only two points clear of, of the fifth place team. So, uh, sorry, they're four points clear of the Brisbane. But it's getting it's getting pretty tight there with Port Adelaide. You've got Sydney coming, obviously Geelong and the Western Bulldogs as well. So, And they've got some tricky matches to come. So I hope for Melbourne's sake they, they make sure they stay in that top form. But certainly they're in a... A bit of a flat patch, but I still think they've got the game that will, will stand up in September. And until the weekend, they've beaten all the teams that they need to beat in September, and they were pretty close to the Bulldogs. So I don't think it should be all doom and gloom, but um, I know Melbourne supporters tend to be glass half empty. <laughs> so I'm not, <laughs> I know a few of them, and they're certainly glass half empty. But, uh, no, I still think there's some exciting things to come from Melbourne. They've got the injuries. Um, they've pretty much got their best 22. So um, I think they're still in pretty good shape as long as they stay in that top four come September. I guess the the glass half empty take on that take is for a team which has no injuries, um, mm. not really look, frankly, a little bit outclassed for most of the game, I thought, Ooh. against a team which lost its best defender, lost yep. another running defender, didn't have Trelaw, didn't have Dunkley, didn't have Stefan Martin. Um, it is a bit of a concern, I think you'd say. Yeah, I think it's a, that's a good point. If you look at some of the teams around them, they've got some talent to come back. Like you look at Geelong, Jeremy Cameron comes back. You know, Touchwood for them, Mitch Duncan will get back. You mentioned the Bulldogs players there that uh, didn't play the other night. So, yeah, in terms of Melbourne, they can't really improve uh, what they've got at the moment. Look, their defence is still standing up really, really well. Um, but, you know, Jackson's probably been down for four or five weeks now as well, which which can happen with a, with a second-year player. But... Um, you know, they, they were up for a long time. They were the best team in the competition for the first 12 weeks. You're going to have a flat patch. It's probably gone on a little bit too long, which would be the concern uh, for the Ds. But, uh, no, I still think they're right in, in the mix. Their defence is solid. They're very good around the footy, which is what you need come September. They've got that dominant Ruckman there as well. So I wouldn't be ruling them out. They're probably a little bit behind Geelong and the Bulldogs at the moment, and, and Sydney's really coming with a rush. But I still think Melbourne's in pretty good shape. I want to talk to you about our midfield jewels because for me, one thing that concerns me is, you know, Petrarca and Oliver get 30 plus every week. Um, but the next, next best this week, for example, were Neil Bullen with 25 and then Hunt. Um, you compare that to the Bulldogs who have six players over 25 possessions, all midfielders, and with the likes of McRae and Bontempelli and um, Bailey Smith and Tom Libertore and Caleb Daniel, and they're all just playing such wonderfully even, excellent footy. My concern is, and even I've heard uh, – I've heard Christian Petrarca talk about this on radio before, how, you know, he sort of says, oh, yeah, guys like Jack Viney and Angus Brayshaw are there to, you know, 
sort of effectively be role players to let me play my game. It seems to me, however, that we sort of need to be getting more out of those perceived role players like Angus Brayshaw and Jack Viney because the truth is, is particularly Angus Brayshaw is really capable of being an offensive threat. And right now it feels like he's almost being wasted in this kind of supporting cast role, um, even when we're down in a game. Yeah, I think Viney was pretty – I thought Viney showed some really good signs the other night. I thought that was one of the better games he's played for quite some time. I think one of your real strengths early in the year was your wingers, Ed Langdon on one side and Brayshaw on the other. I think both of them have dropped off a little bit in the last couple of weeks. It's an interesting one, Brayshaw, because as you say, he he nearly won a Brownlow, being basically attacking more of an inside mid uh, than a wingman, but they they want him to play that role where he's almost a bit defensive. It doesn't matter how many kicks he gets, but I think Langdon's been important. Maybe young Jordan as well has just dropped off a little bit, but I mean... If you look at midfields, the Bulldogs is um, it's unbelievable the depth they've got. I don't think anyone, even you know Richmond in their their prime, or even if you look at Geelong uh, and any of the other teams around, no one can match them for the depth they've got. You know, Dunkley comes back, Trelaw's back. You got Liberatore, Bonson, Pally, McRae, uh, Daniel can go in there. They've got so many players that can run through that midfield. So I think anyone, if you compare any team to the Bulldogs, you're going to look like you're coming up a bit short. But uh, yeah, you don't want to have too much reliance on Oliver and Petrarca, who've been great. All year, Petrak was a bit sloppy the other night, I thought, with his disposal, which is not like him, but you probably just need a bit more. Those two wingmen were a massive bonus for you, of, of important players for at the start of the year. They've probably just been a little bit off the last few weeks. Well, Jules, we've got quite a few elite users that aren't in the midfield, and I wonder if you think that they need to be used differently. So, for example, Salem is the one people always talk about. Mm. You even have someone like Cosy Pickett, who earlier in the season was coming into the centre bounce fairly often, hasn't seemed to happen for a long time. Charlie Spargo might well be the best short kick in the team, and I don't think I've ever seen him in the midfield. Do you think it's time to change up some of those roles, or do we just stick with the Petrarca-Oliver setup? Uh, I like the picket suggestion. Being an Essendon supporter, I watched in the game last night, thinking, Ben Rutten, get McDonald, Tip and Woody up on the ball. Like, he could not get a kick last night. And, and you know what it's like. For those small forwards, sometimes it's it's just a really hard role to play. You just Some games where you can't find it. So I think Pickett's an option there. I guess Melbourne would maybe argue with Salem it's a bit of robbing Peter to pay Paul. He's been so good across halfback this year. But I still think you can throw him in there. And, look, they probably do need to find a couple more options. Uh to get depth in there. Maybe it's Spargo, as you say. You know, Neil Bullen's had a pretty solid year. But as you said before, if you look outside the team, there's probably not many options that could come in there. I mean, I don't think Nathan Jones is going to play a role in this final series unless there's a, a couple of injuries and he's more probably a flanker these days as well. But I, I think Pickett in particular, that, that sort of impact player at centre bounce uh, can be really important. As you say, they were doing it early in the year, so... There's no reason they can't do that uh, for the rest of the season at, at certain times. And I want to talk to you about Max Gorn, Jules, because we just can't seem to capitalise on Gorn. He had 50 more hitouts um, to English. He really, I thought, outclassed English completely the other night. Um, and yet we lost the stoppage and centre clearances. Mm. Is this becoming like a Sandlands problem? Like, what is the cause of all of this? I don't know. I think a lot of dominant ruckmen, it's the same thing, isn't it? We saw it, we've seen it with Brody Grundy as well over the years. Even when Collingwood were a really good side, he would dominate hit outs and uh, they wouldn't they wouldn't win clearance. So it's 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 where the hit out stat is is completely overrated, isn't it? It's really effective hit outs uh, are the ones that uh, really count. And they're, 
I don't know what you guys think. Do you think they've improved this area a bit, Melbourne? I mean, even last year, Max was dominant. The year before, he was dominant. Uh, and it didn't translate to wins all of a sudden. Are you watching them closely? Do you feel like they're, they're starting to capitalise better on Max Jordan's dominance? Or do you think it's still sort of ha- how it's been the last couple of years? I think in the first half of the season, the Gorn midfield connection seemed to be really in sync. And now it just seems like there is a bit of confusion. Mm. And uh, now it feels like it's just, it's sort of out of kilter, to be honest. And maybe it's all sort of, it's all sort of part of the same chain of problems, right? Like it's a circle. You have a problem with the forward line. You don't necessarily trust the forward line. So then you have a problem in terms of midfielders not knowing where to go and not wearing who to kick to, you know, then you've got a problem with Gore not knowing how to tap, who to tap to. So it's, it's all sort of part of the same issue of problems, isn't it? It is. It's just, I know David King's been really big on this come finals time, and then maybe this is the time to do it. Do Melbourne need to play Max Ford more? I mean, you've got Jackson, who's he's capable. He's big, he's strong, he can jump. He's not going to get dominated uh, in the centre like some second ruckman. Just, you know, they, they go in there and they get thrashed, and you've got to really play them as a forward. So that, that balance is going to be interesting. Maybe that's what is needed to get that forward line going. And as you say, they're not capitalising on Max's dominance. You might as well use him up forward more. Wherever he takes a couple of marks, he's going to kick a couple of goals. So I think it's a good problem for Melbourne to have because Jackson, he doesn't need many touches in a game of footy to be effective. And, and maybe for this next four or five weeks, getting him in the ruck a bit more, trying going forward to see how that works, might take a bit of pressure off, uh, you know, McDonald and uh, Brown, who, you know, McDonald started the year so well. He's had a couple of good games since, but in the main, I think you probably agree that he has dropped off uh, probably in the last six weeks, apart from a couple of games where he was he was reasonable. Well, on Jackson, it's an interesting point you make about giving him more time in the ruck. And there have been some games where he's done reasonably well. I guess the counter-argument to that is, does he need a bit of a rest because he's a young player in a pretty physically demanding position who's been going for the whole year? If he did get a rest, would you uh, consider us bringing in someone like Mitch Brown, who I'm sure you know well from your Essendon? Mm-hmm. Uh, supporting the kind of wily old fox type. Do you think he can add something? <laughs> he can, yeah. Mitch Brown, he can certainly play the game, Mitch Brown. He's um, He's got a good engine. He gets around the ground. He's a nice kick for goal. So, yeah, I think he's certainly an option. I guess the balance is with, with these clubs now, they think, you know, that the finals, well, we've got the pre-finals by. So is there any benefit in giving a player a rest now and then they get another rest uh, in three or four weeks' time? And, and particularly... The situation Melbourne's in now, a few weeks ago, you probably thought yeah, that they might be sort of secure in that top four with three or four weeks to go, and that is a time to give some of their better players a rest. But uh, with the season as it is now, they've got to win games. In saying that, I don't think that should affect someone like Luke Jackson. He shouldn't really be dictating whether you win or lose games. You could leave him out of the side for a week, just play Max as a number one ruckman for most of the game, which he's done before, and, and potentially look at Brown. He's had a few niggles this year, Mitch Brown. Um but, yeah, he's certainly a, a capable player that can come in and, and, and can play a role up there. Kieran is a huge Mitch Brown fan, I should tell you. <laughs> the he's, loaded um, question, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so no, there, was a lot, there was quite a few Essendon supporters that were really disappointed they let Mitch go. Um, so he's got some fans out there. <laughs> Kieran is definitely uh, driving that bandwagon. It's quite funny. When Cam Pedersen left the D's, that was quite oh, yeah. devastating for Kieran. And mm. so then he um, was he's really – He's a replacement cult hero. Kind of, yeah, with Mitch Brown. <laughs> Which is great. So you sort of like the blokes that have had a couple of clubs, yeah. pretty pretty reliable. Uh, those two would certainly fit into that category. <laughs> Recycled, sturdy, canny. Yeah. That's, 
No one has been more excited by Tom Hickey's resurgence this year than Kieran's. Kieran just feels very sort of like justified in his sort of like adulation yeah. towards What Tom. I like about Mitch Brown, I remember reporting on the finals, that had been two or three years ago, and every final at the MCG, he was lined up in the MCC line. So he's obviously just going along with his mates, no free tickets from the club, just blending in with his flannelette shirt on. And, uh, <laughs> if you didn't know who he was, you would have no idea this guy was an AFL player. Yeah, it wasn't mobbed by fans, I'm sure. No, not quite. Well, he just looks like a hipster from sort of the northern suburbs, so <laughs> I don't think a lot of people actually knew who he was. <laughs> that would be quite a celeb spotting for Kieran. But anyway, um, so, <laughs> Jules, I want to talk to you about Ed Langdon because you briefly touched on him before. Why isn't he an offensive threat anymore? Because at the start of the year, you know, against – um, I remember in some of the early games, he was kicking a couple of goals. Mm. He was really, really, really an offensive threat and really active. He had a lot of space as well. Yeah. Now yeah. it just feels like Jaden Hunt has almost been doing more of a sort of streaming through the middle kind of um, role, and we haven't really seen that from Ed Langdon. Yeah, my hunch would be opposition's put a lot of time into him because he was really, really hurting oppositions, wasn't he? As you say, he was, you know, when a player like that is suddenly hitting the scoreboard, it's not normally a goal kicker, he um, he becomes really dangerous. And even in the Essendon game a few weeks, he was fantastic. He played on, or Nick Cox played on him, more like it. And he he took Cox to the cleaners, just running him up and down the wing. It was a really good lesson uh, for a first-year player. So, yes, you love your midfielders kicking goals. You know you're going to get a couple from Petrarca. Uh, Oliver, is, he's not too – he kicks the odd goal here and there. But, uh, yes, they'd love to get Langdon back kicking goals. Not too sure why his form's dropped off in that way. But I reckon – Clubs would have gone to school on uh, on uh, what he did earlier in the year, and, and they'd be putting a bit more time into him because he was he was really hurting clubs with uh, just running up and down that wing all day and actually having an impact forward to centre. Well, we know that uh, Mark Williams has introduced the kicking program where people he drives around with the with the car roof sunroof. Yeah. The players have to kick the balls into the car. First question, which assistant coach is signing up to have their car completely pelted with <laughs> footballs? This is Kieran and I were talking about this. I was like, what person in their right mind is like, yeah, that's a great idea, especially when sometimes Melbourne's kicking isn't um, quite as accurate as, as, <laughs> as, as the Bulldogs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, well, Choco should be putting his own car up. If yeah, it's surely. Oh, uh, who would? I was watching the Essendon game. But last, the, the set shot goal kicking at the moment it's just the most stressful time for a coach now is when his own player's got a set shot like both teams last night absolute sodas probably five or six between them so it must tear people like Mark Williams must just tear their hair out that are obsessed with kicking that see so many easy goals missed and I don't know I mean the way the season's been and there's a lot of teams away from home again for, for a while. I, I don't know if that's affected the standard of footy in the last couple of weeks because I think the season's been really good overall. I know scoring hasn't gone up that much, but the games have looked a bit better. But the last couple of weeks, I don't know what you guys uh, have thought, but just watching some of the games, it's got a bit scrappy again. And, and you know, I know it's this time of the year where players are starting to get tired, but maybe the effects for some teams being away from home, flying in, flying out, quarantine, these sort of things may have just affected the, the standard of footy in the last couple of weeks because there has been... I think, a fair array of ordinary games the last two or three weeks. Oh, totally. And we were watching some of the Geelong-Richmond game and it just looked so slow, even for both. Yeah. It just looked like it had nothing in it. It was really no intensity at all. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, I, Ge- I mean, Geelong, Geelong's games tend to be like that, don't they? They just, 
they're so effective and if you're a Geelong supporter, you'd be wrapped because every year they're up there. But they don't play the most dynamic style of footy, even though they've got a lot of dynamic players. But who'd be complaining? They're, they're top two again and they're going to be in, in line for another premiership. But I, I don't think a lot of John, Geelong games are, are that pleasing on the eye if you're, if you're a neutral supporter. Hmm. Well, I guess that's a good segue into a question about um, our game style and whether it can hold up against the teams like Geelong. So there's been a lot of talk in recent weeks about how we do everything in our power to have a spare man or two uh, mm-hmm. in defence, uh, freeing up Lever, freeing up Langdon and so on, and letting the other team potentially win the clearance so we can get the yeah. team. Um, obviously, this week that meant that players like Bontempelli and McRae could you know, waltz around the MCG and get the ball. So my question for you is, is this structure that has served us pretty well this year the right model against all teams, especially with teams with super stacked midfields? And yeah. if not, do you think that Simon Goodwin is being a little bit stubborn to just keep the same system for the whole season? It's interesting because David King was talking about this <clears throat> this morning about exactly what you said there, that the Bulldogs were pretty clever. They they used that they had players like McRae and Bontempelli pushing up and being that spare in the midfield, which is they're not the sort of players you want. And and the Giants did the same thing uh, a few a few weeks ago with Lockie Whitfield and Josh Kelly. So that's something Simon Goodwin's got to look at pretty closely because I'm sure the other teams that are going to play them at the pointy end are going to look at that and say, okay, well, they're happy to keep their six back, um, but we'll push a dangerous player up to be that spare, which is, is not what you want. I think it, can, it seemed like it caused... A bit of confusion the other nights, and uh, as you, you know, Bonzapelli and McRae were pretty, uh, you know, key to that result for the Western Bulldogs. So I think it's a, <clears throat> excuse me, an interesting point that you raise, and I'm not sure he's going to change it too much because you, the way your defence has worked has been pretty good, keeping them at home. But yeah, you wouldn't want to get exposed one more time in that area before the finals. Otherwise, you might have to look at. Uh, Change it because the Giants have done it effectively. The Bulldogs have done it effectively. They've got the result. So I'm sure their opponents the next few weeks are going to look at doing something pretty similar. And Jules, you mentioned Tom McDonald earlier and how, you know, he's had a bit of a, a slide. And it seems to me, without having done any statistical analysis, that he really is the barometer for the team. Mm, when he, when he's going well, the team looks like a premiership team. And when he's not, we look like eighth, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> So what do you think that the coaches should do to try to get the best out of him? Is it playing up the ground a little bit more to get him into the games? Is there anything that we can do differently to get him into it? Yeah, it's a good question. I think you're right. I think he is a barometer. And he's one of those players you can tell early on in a game whether he's on. If he has a couple of early touches, he gets the confidence up, the chest comes out and you think, yep, he's on and uh, Melbourne will be on. Look, he's such a versatile player. I think there is times you can chuck him on the ball, you can chuck him on a wing. Uh, but I think he'd cer- he certainly benefits when Jackson's playing well and if Brown can play well, he can get up the ground and, and, and use his strength, which is his aerobic capacity. So that's the, just that problem with the forward line, isn't it? The, the one's been playing okay, another one's been down. They haven't sort of clicked together uh, for quite some time now. Um, so that's what they need to do to be effective in finals. But, yeah, he's, he's just one of those confidence players, gets a few early touches and he's away. But, um just, I mean, the conditions on the weekend were pretty difficult. I wouldn't judge him too much on that game. It was a pretty tough night for the key forwards. But, um, yeah, if Melbourne's going to be successful in September, there's no doubt they need him, need him playing his best like he was for the majority of the first half of the year. 
Jules, Jake Lever had 20 on the weekend and really was just a pillar of, it was just so rock solid. And he's just put together such a spectacular season. Yeah, yes. Do you think that both him and May get into the All-Australian team? Oh, they've got to be in the squad. Yeah, I, I think right now they probably would be in the 22. Yeah, def- definitely Lever. I'd be staggered if Lever missed. I, I was staggered last year Stephen May missed out, to be honest. I mean... He wasn't even in the 40 last year, was he? No, he wasn't. No, which was unbelievable. He, I thought he'd be close to being in the 22, uh, let alone uh, being in the 40. But I, I think they've both had absolutely outstanding seasons. I think some of the other key backs that have been really good the last few years won't be in the mix. I don't think Harris Andrews has had his best year. I'd be surprised if he's in the 40 this year. Obviously, Jeremy McGovern uh, has had his uh, injury problems. You know, Grimes is another one that hasn't been as good this year. I think Tom Stewart, you lock him in. And uh, he's certainly been right up there. But I think, yeah, Lever and May, definitely in the 40. And right now, I think they're, they're both certainly in the 22. May was probably the outstanding key defender of the first half of the year. And uh, he, I wouldn't say he's dropped off, but I think Lever's kept at that level. And, uh, yeah, so right now, I think both definitely should be in the 22. And there'll be a couple of other demons in there as well. And which other demons do you think there will be? Oh, I think Oliver and Petrarca are locks. And I think Gorn has still been the best ruckman of the year. Darcy's playing really well for Fremantle, uh, but I, I still think Gorn uh, has been the most effective uh, ruckman in the competition. So, yeah, I think right now uh, Melbourne should have five. Like anyone else in the squad, probably Salem. Salem will be go- close to the squad. Uh, outside of that, you know, if Fritch, if Fritch is going to finish with 45 odd goals, that, that's pretty impressive for a sort of third tall. So he'd be another one. I think that would be around around the score. But I think those other five would certainly be in the 22 right now. And do you think that Oliver is the biggest challenger to Bunt and Pally for the Brownlow right now? Um, I think probably Oliver and Ollie Wines. Uh, Ollie Wines has had an amazing six or seven weeks in terms of his numbers, whether that results in uh, Brownlow medal votes. He doesn't stand out as much as I think an Oliver good game or a Bunt and Pally good game. I think it's going to be a great Brownlow Brownlow count this year. There's there's a lot of players in the in the running. Uh, Sam Walsh, Darcy Parrish is going to get a lot of three vote games. Probably not enough to win it. Um, you know, Zach Merritt's had a really good year as well. Uh, Ollie Wines, as we mentioned, so I think it's going to be a really really good count. But um, right now, I think Watson Pelly will be in front. Um, but uh, you know, Petrarca's another one. So I think it'll be a really interesting count. Unlike last year, where I think we all knew going in, Lockie Neal was going to win. I was actually surprised by how much he actually won by, but certainly deserved to win. But I think this year will be a lot closer. And turning finally to this week's game against Gold Coast, um, this is a bit of an, a kind of perplexing matchup in a way because Gold Coast has been erratic all season and even within the context of last week's game, I mean, just a complete bizarre turnaround. So we, we don't watch them especially closely. From what you've seen of them, do they pose a threat to us given our form this week or should this be a pretty comfortable victory? Uh, no, I think it's a threat. And I think that they're a tough team to play. And I watched that first half the other day. And I thought, it's, it's actually clicking here for Gold Coast. They beat Richmond. You know, they had a, another good win the week after. They, they pushed the Bulldogs all the way. And then the way they started, they were aggressive. They were moving the ball through the middle of the ground. They were getting under the skin of the Lions and... You thought this is a really this is a great month of football for the Gold Coast Suns, and then what happens after half time? You just think, well, how does that happen? How, how does that happen with this team? But no, I think that in the main they're playing really well. They've got they've got some threats up forward with King and 
Uh, you know, Sexton's found a bit of form again, and their, their midfield is, is pretty strong. Saying that they've lost Alice the last couple of weeks, and, and obviously Greenwood with that PCL. That means their depth in there, and they just got and Wellers not playing, so they're they're a bit overwhelmed in that midfield against a good midfield. So I think if Melbourne is in touch around halftime, they'll they'll probably run over the top. But uh, it's it's no. So I mean, the form is just. I mean, the Giants, you ha- how are you meant to know what the Giants are going to do? Yeah. Look, Hawthorne and North are the bottom two teams. You know, I, I don't remember a season where the bottom two teams at this time of the year can actually pretty much beat anyone in the competition. So it's hard to say any game uh, is a lock right now. And uh, so, yeah, I think Melbourne will win, but I think it'll be pretty hard work because if the Gold Coast bring their best, um, they're a pretty difficult team to stop. And last week, from all reports, um, Oscar McInerney, um, Gorn's Casey deputy yep. destroyed uh, Burgess from Gold Coast in the ruck. <laughs> and presumably, if you apply the same principle, Gorn will magnify that by some other magnitude against this week. Yeah. How do you think you get the most out of Gorn? Do you think this is the week to try him up forward a decent amount to try and capitalise on his height? I reckon, yeah. I mean, Burgess, let's be honest, he's not Polly Farmer, is he, Burgess? He is a, he's a third stringer playing in the ruck, and there was a few shots of Jared Witt sitting in the stands the other day, and you just realise how big a loss... Uh, that is for the goal because I think it's a good week. Just get, get Jackson in the middle. Jackson could dominate against Burgess. It doesn't have to be Max Gorn in there. So I think it's a good week uh, to try him playing up forward. But yeah, you should absolutely dominate the ruck. And with uh, good clearance players like Petrarca and Oliver in there, it, you should make the most of that advantage. But um, as you said before, it doesn't always work like that with Big Max or some of the other dominant ruckmen around the competition. But yeah, it should be should be one-way traffic in the midfield this week, all things being equal. And I guess finally, May King should be a cracking matchup. Mm. Uh, and obviously there was a lot of heartburn from Melbourne supporters when we got May, gave up on the chance to get King and then started <laughs> slowly. But now everything looks looks brilliant on that front, I think. But who do you think will win that contest? Uh, Stephen May doesn't lose many, does he? He doesn't lose many contests. So um, King will have to get on his bike because one-on-one he's got you know, it's May's going to be too strong. So uh, it just depends how the ball comes in. The gun's in quick. You, uh, Max King the other day for Securita, was, he was unbelievable. He just marked everything. Once they get their hands on it at that height, uh, they're pretty difficult to stop. But uh, I think if the pressure's on up the ground and they're just bombing it in, uh, Stephen May will probably be a bit too strong and a bit too wily for, for young Ben King, who's had a he's had a really impressive season and he's obviously going to be a great player and you'd love to have him at your footy club. But I don't think too many Melbourne supporters now are too disappointed about that trade that saw Stephen May end up at the club. Definitely not. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on Deluded. Pleasure. And uh, I, I hope it finishes well for the season for you. I'd love to see the Ds break through and win a flag. I know a couple of really close mates of mine, Barry, for the Ds that are riding every bump. So uh, fingers crossed for you and all the Demon supporters that the season ends really well. 